0: Man, You may be seated. Grab a Bible if you have one. If you do not have one, we have one for you. I'll even tell you what page number it's on as soon as I get there. Everybody doing okay this morning? Thank you, Matt, for leading out. I really appreciate it, and we're so fortunate. Matt and Sarah are are, uh, key leaders in this church, and as we are in the process of um, uh, finding some new people to lead us uh, every week in the area of uh, song, uh, Matt is going to be filling in quite a bit and uh, so it's a real privilege. He's so gifted and um, I just enjoy your leadership so much. So the book of Colossians we where we are and uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter four just a couple of verses. Verse 5 and 6 is what I'm going to, be, going to be reading to you. Before we get there, just a couple of things that I want to make sure you're aware of. Uh, first of all, we are in the process of, of um, finding out who's interested in connecting beyond Sunday morning in one or, an, one or more types of groups. So on your chair, there's a, there's a small white card, and it has a list of options. And there's even a place, I believe, on there that says, hey, if none of these work for you and you want something else, just let us know what would, you, what would fit with your schedule or whatever. So we're currently trying to learn about this community that God's bringing together and how we can connect beyond Sunday morning. Uh, and so there's a couple of things. One is um, we're calling community groups. One is going to meet at my house, and the other one's going to meet at david Sidney walker's house and and uh, so I live at near basically fifty nine Shepherd and that's going to be called South near town, and then they live in the north heights and so um, they're about to move into a house in north heights and so that'll be cool, uh, and so that's going to be like a midweek church service, and so if you're interested in that, and then beyond that, we have things like NT Path, which is basically one-on-one discipleship. We've had probably 20 or 30 people, something like that, participate in this already uh, before we've launched it, and it's been a great success. I was just visiting with Eric Delaney about this, and uh, he and Ruben were paired up. I think I see Eric right back there, and he said, it's just a cool time to get together, open the scriptures, and uh, and so we'll pair you up with somebody that would be a fit for you. Um, and, uh, so if you're interested in growing, even if you feel really, really young and new in your faith, hey, it's okay. We can, we can, uh, basically, uh, model a discipleship plan that would be really good for you and, and, ba- and help you just take steps in your faith. So, uh, just a couple of things out there. Also, the women's retreat's coming up. If you've not signed up for that. Please do. Uh, we, we've already got the facility. And so we want to make sure that we have as many women as, as can, uh, participate in that. It's going to be a, it's going to be a good time. All right. Okay. So here we are in the book of Colossians. And um we we've already learned so much in Paul's letter to the Colossians. Oh, by the way, this is on page 985 of the Bibles that we passed out if you if you uh didn't uh didn't get there yet, 985. So in Colossians, what we've learned um, is that Paul is in the first part of Colossians, the first two chapters, he's setting out these truths which contradict a false teaching that had crept into the church at Colossae. And it's later called Gnosticism, which if you're unsure of what that means, that's okay. But basically what Gnosticism says is that material things are evil, not just like possessions, but the material world, like your physical body, is evil. And immaterial things like the spirit and the spiritual is good. So God, good and spiritual, was isolated from the universe in which we live. And, and so basically what it was, Gnosticism, its implications for who Jesus was, says that Jesus as a physical being uh, did not even really exist, uh, but he was an unreal shadow. And it's kind of strange, isn't it? So what Paul is doing is he's teaching them in the first couple of chapters that Jesus is God in the flesh, an actual physical being walked the earth. Now, this really matters because Jesus is fully God, fully man. His humanity connects him with us. His divinity connects us with God, okay? So that's very important that we understand who Jesus is. And Paul lays this out for the Colossians, and we're learning from it, believing it's God's word for us too. And Jesus died uh, after living 30 or so years and had a very real death, and God by his power raised him from the dead. And what this makes possible is for our sins to be forgiven, for us to experience redemption, to become the children of God. Apart from Christ, we're not children of God. We're the enemies of God. So Paul has laid all of this out in the first couple of chapters, and then in chapter 3, he begins saying, this is what this means for your life. This is how it impacts the way that you are to live. Set your mind on things above. Put to death the deeds of the flesh, it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Put on these Things, these spiritual things that make you look like Christ in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. And we know that only will happen once you have received Christ, you've asked God to forgive your sins, understanding that they separate you from God, believing that Christ paid for them on the cross and his resurrection from the dead guarantees you a new life and forgiveness for your sins. So Paul is dealing with all these things, and then again in Colossians chapter 3, he's dealing with practical things going on in verse 18 of chapter 3. He's talking about how things are supposed to work in their oikos, or their household. So the relationship between man and woman, and then parents and their children, and then uh, slave and slave owner, and we applied that to our working relationships. And so last week we got to this section that Paul's dealing with this issue of prayer, and it's interesting as I've considered this passage, because what I see in God's Word to us is is that Paul did not want the Colossians to stay where they were. He didn't want them to just live with a list of rules that made them look more like Christ. No, he wanted to move them beyond the place that they were so that they could be a part of what God is doing in the world. I mean, this is significant. So here we are, gathering as a church, and I want you to know that this is about something more than just trying to make you look more like Christ. This is about an invitation to you because of what Christ has done to be a part of what God is doing in the world. It's a very, very big deal. I mean, the Texans are a big deal, right? Can I get an amen? Yes. um, And we hate the Cowboys. Okay, the Texans are a big deal, but... But, I mean, really, in an eternal perspective, it's not a big deal, because it, it doesn't matter. But what we're doing here is we're talking about the good news of the Bible, which is an invitation by God to those to, come, to people to come to him through Christ to be a part of something that he's doing in the world. And Paul, Paul is dealing practically with this. Um, it can feel difficult at times to figure out this thing called relationship with God, right? Well, there's a story I heard about this famous preacher who lived many years ago and he wrote a book about his early search for fullness in Christ, to experience Christ. He, he, in his own discipline, struggled for holiness. He spent hours in prayer for purification and to deal with this selfishness and wrong desires. He, he did everything that he knew to do just right. He was uh, known to be someone who guarded every word and every action. But he struggled to bring his own will into conformity with God's will. He became so exhausted. He got sick with tuberculosis and he spent a year getting better. In this same hospital, there was a woman. He noticed her. Something about her seemed so tranquil and so pure. He watched her for weeks, realizing that she too had a desire to be spiritual. He became convinced that she had figured out the secret that had eluded him, the secret to really connecting deeply with the Lord. And it seemed as if she ought to be talked to. So one night, struggling in prayer, he couldn't couldn't wait any longer. Across the hall was this woman who was herself getting better from this illness, and uh, she had no particular spiritual disciplines, but seemed to be experiencing something that he wanted. So he rose to go talk to her and as soon as he went to grab the door, she knocked on the door, he opened it and she said to him, I've been wanting to ask you, how do you do it? How do you discipline yourself so much? Tell me because I want to experience Christ in this way. You see, she was feeling about him what he was feeling about her and that was that the other one had it totally figured out. And it illustrates something about how difficult and frustrating it can be at times with this Christian living. So if you feel this, you're in good company. How do we experience the depths of Jesus Christ? How do we live really on mission? Is it we, we, we totally organize our lives to look just like Christ and we're all about discipline and, and putting to death areas of our life? Well, sure. Or is it all about just living in... The fact that we are children of God and not doing any Bible reading or prayer, it's a tension, right? We feel that at times, no matter what we do, it's not enough. But we all want to grow in Christ. Paul is telling them, this is how you do it. You must receive the gospel, believing that Christ died for you. Colossians chapter 1. Believing in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, that Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. On to verse 21. You were alienated. This is what you were like before Christ. You have to believe this to experience Christ and to grow in your faith. You were alienated and hostile, am I, doing evil deeds, but. We've been reconciled in his body of flesh by Christ's death in order that we would be presented holy and blameless and above reproach before God. I want you to know before we even get into this passage this, that we're looking at today that growth spiritually is incremental and it takes time the reason I say this is because I know some of you are new to the faith and you've, you've tried to look like Christ. And it can be frustrating at times. You fail at times. But like any relationship, our relationship with God takes time. And you have to learn about God. I mean, he knows everything there is to know about you. But you have to learn about God. And it doesn't happen all at once. You have to get to know God's story so that you can more fully understand your story. You know, just as an illustration of this, I've come face-to-face recently with how important time is to developing relationships. Um, I've mentioned in here before that when I was a child, my parents were divorced. And my early memories of my biological father, there's about three, and uh, two of them include times where my father said, I'll never leave. And one of them included a time where I was waiting for him to show up and he never did. It wasn't until I was in my early twenties that I saw him at my sister's wedding. And again, uh, I heard from him, you know, I'll never leave. And then I didn't see him again for 10 years. Oh, well, by God's grace and mercy, we've reconnected. And so just in the last couple of years, uh, I've put forth some effort to get to know him. And he's made some effort to to ask forgiveness, and I've told him I forgive him. Um, and so we've begun this relationship. And so just a couple of weeks ago, I uh, I went up there. I took Jeannie and the kids up there, and my kids love being there. He has quite a big uh, lives on ten or so acres, and so they feel like they're you know really in the woods. <laughs> um, and uh, and while I was there, something occurred to me. Two things. First of all, that my children have already seen him more times than I've saw him as a child. They already know more about him, and he knows more about them than he, than he knows about me as his own son. And as we were there, there was a real awkwardness. You see, because I'm 37 years old, he's, I don't know, 55. Um, and uh, it was just weird. The relationship is weird. And, and here's why. Because we have, we have no shared stories. In any relationship, what, what propels it forward is experiences and shared stories, right? I mean, this is one reason when you go out of town with a group of friends, your, your relationships grow deeper because you have shared stories. And so here I am with my father, and, it, and it's a wonderful opportunity for me to work on a relationship then. But I just realized, like, our relationship is, is so young, like some of your relationship with Christ and what it's going to require is shared stories it's going to require time it's going to require conversations it's going to require you being faithful to read God's word and to hear what he has to say to you some of you are younger in age and some of you aren't as younger in age aren't as young in age but you're young in your faith no matter where you are i just want you to know as we open God's word It's going to take time. And it's okay. It's a beautiful thing about relationship. Here we are in Colossians. That's a big introduction, but I feel like it's important. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Here's what these two verses say. Are you ready? Stand to your feet. Let's read them together. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So um, here we are. We, We confess that we... As a church, we believe the gospel. We believe the good news of the Bible, which says that sin separates us from God, but God made a way for our sin to be forgiven through Jesus Christ. What do you do? You accept what Christ has done for you on the cross That's the beginning of this relationship with God. Well, the majority of the world does not believe like this. Do you know that? You you can think of religions like Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam. By the way, did you know that in the near town area, right at, um, somebody help me, Jonathan, what is it? West Dallas and uh, Montrose. There's a large piece of property there. And it is the location for what could be the, lar- the second largest mosque in the United States. It's owned by an Islamic uh, development firm. And actually, if you go online and look, there are pictures of the building that's going to be on that place. So Islam is a growing religion in our country. And it's especially if that happens, going to be fast track in growth in the near-town neighborhood. So Islam, uh, Judaism, and of course, uh, there is a religion uh, that people call Satanism. There are atheist people that believe there's no God, agnostics, people that believe that there's no, there, there may be a God, but you have no knowledge of him. So there's all kinds of beliefs out there. The majority of the world believes something other than biblical, Christ-centered Christianity. But um, in our own country, the most common religious belief is what's called moralistic therapeutic deism. And um, I didn't make this up. This research has been done. And, and uh, moralistic therapeutic deism says something like this. A God exists. He created and ordered the world and watches over things. God wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other. And... Uh, And you can find these kinds of truths, these people that adhere to this belief system, you can find these kinds of truths common in most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. I mean, it all sounds fairly innocent, right? Another tenet is that God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. So people go about their lives, and the only time they believe there's a higher being that he created the world and brought some order to it, that we ought to be nice to one another, and these people that adhere to this religious belief um, only go to God when things get tough, things get stressful. stressful. Like, I mean, this is basically what I believed when I was a kid, right? I didn't need God until I got in trouble and I'm sitting at the principal's office about to get spanked. That's back in the old days when you got spanked at school. Can anybody remember those days? Yeah, those were... I was about to say the good old days, but I got spanked so much, I mean, the teachers would, like, line up to witness it. You know, they'd be drinking their coffee, and they're like, oh, Cravens. (laughs) So if you have a tough child, uh, it might be an encouragement to you know that your kid could be a pastor someday. But anyway, um, so the the moralistic, therapeutic, deist believe that God exists. He brought order to the world, but there's no real need for him unless things get bad and you can call out on him. And what God is going to do is basically going to help you because um, all he wants you to do is be happy. When people die, if they're good, they go to heaven. I want you to know this is not the gospel. This is the most common belief system. This is what most of the people that are around you that are unbelievers think and operate by, but this is not the gospel. The gospel says we are dead in our sin separated from god there are insiders and outsiders the insiders are those that recognize their sin feel conviction for it want to de- want god to deal with their sin place their faith in jesus who made a way for their sin to be forgiven this is the gospel there's good news you don't have to stay dead it's that through christ you can be delivered from the domain of darkness, as Paul says in Colossians chapter one, from the, from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's only son, Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is what Paul is saying. There are insiders and there are outsiders. So here is the question. How are those people, us, how are we to, as, to live as sincere followers of Jesus Christ among People who do not share our faith in Jesus as Lord. I mean, truly share our faith. I mean, there are lots of people that say, yes, I'm a Christian, whatever. Just, I mean, but people that are truly, sincerely walking with Christ. How do we live our faith? This is the question that Paul is answering for the Colossians here. I want to answer it for you, but before I do, let me offer to you some ways that we live rather than the way Paul says that we ought to live our faith among people that don't share our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. First of all, Christians tend to hide. I mean, think Christian subculture, or worse, Christian bubble. I mean, this is the, basically the way I grew up as a teenager. It's like we're, we're, we're going to hide from all of the bad things. We're going to do our best to hold on Maybe Jesus will return and get us away from all these bad people. We hide. We hide. We create our own coffee shops, our own little cities, like church-building cities. We create all our own. I mean, I don't have a problem with Christian education. That, that's not what this is about. But what I'm saying to you is that uh, an improper response to the call of Christ in our lives to do what Paul is going to say is hiding from people. We, we also attack at times. Um, when somebody doesn't believe what you believe, what we do, what we do sometimes is, is we attack them. It's, it's like when I go to a sporting event in Houston, and I see somebody there with a T-shirt on or a hat supporting the other team. You know what I mean? Like when I go to the Astros, when they play the Red Sox, it just makes me angry. I'm like, why don't y'all just move to Boston? <laughs> or when I go to the Rockets, and I see people with something other than Houston Rockets gear on. I mean, it makes me angry, cause, and I want to attack them. This is sometimes how we do in our Christian faith. I mean, if people don't believe like us, what we want to do is we want to lash out at them. We want to attack them. We want to verbally abuse them. And oftentimes the places that we attack people are not on uh, truths that are central to the Christian faith. Here's another way we respond sometimes to people that are outside our faith. We ignore the differences. This is worse, I think, than attacking them. We ignore the differences. We act like, hey, there's nothing different between you and me. Well, according to the Bible, there is. There are people who are children of God. There are people who are enemies of God. There are people who are, are submitting to the prince of the power of air, the devil. And then there are people that are submitting to the lordship of Christ. That's two different groups. We, we should not ignore the differences between the people that are in Christ and people that are outside of Christ. And the reason I use this inside out, outside language is because Paul uses it in this passage. We cannot ignore the differences between us. We cannot say every world religion believes the same thing because it's not true. I mean, we can agree to disagree on whether or not one is right or the other, but we cannot say that everybody, every world religion believes the same thing we do about God. Because you know what? The Bible reveals that Jesus is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. So it's not like, well, this is our way, Christianity, and this is your way, Islam. No, it doesn't work like that. We cannot ignore the differences. Some people operate in fear among those people that are outside the Christian faith. We're fearful that they're going to get us, that they're going to, turn us against God. Well, the Bible says that the, the gospel, the proclamation, that though we've been separated from God by our sin, God has made a way through Jesus Christ for us to be reconciled to him. This is the good news of the Bible. This, this proclamation is the power of God. We have no need to fear. The Bible says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There's no need to fear. I don't fear that my kids are going to hear some other religious belief at their school. And frankly, I like it. I like it that I get to process with them that there are other people that have different faiths at their school. And we get to talk to them about how we can how we understand the scriptures, and then how we're to relate to these other people, which I'll mention in just a minute. And a fifth thing that we do sometimes as we live among people that do not share our faith is we blend in. We don't want them to know. I mean, how many of you work with somebody that don't even know you're a Christian? That is tragic. Really tragic. What are we supposed to do, rather than these things? Paul says, "Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech be gracious, season with salt, so that you may may know how you ought to live." Uh, it's like what he said in Ephesians chapter five, verse fifteen. If you're taking notes, it says he says in, to the Ephesians, something similar. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The word wisdom here in Ephesians 5 and then also in our Colossians passage is is from a Greek word Sophia. Uh, and it talks about God's wisdom, not Ours. He's already used this word in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, where he's praying for the Colossians, and he says, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. So we know from these passages that to get wisdom, we must simply ask God. Ask God. It's profound to think about this. For those that are in Christ, you can just ask God. James chapter one says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without that approach and it will be given to him. So if you want to know how to walk with wisdom towards outsiders, ask God. God, how am I supposed to relate to my neighbor? Help me. How am I supposed to relate to my unbelieving family member? How am I supposed to relate to my unbelieving dad or mother? How am I supposed to relate to people that that are outside of my faith that, that believe that if you do enough good things, that God or the higher being might let you in. How am I supposed to relate to them? God, I need your wisdom. And you must believe that God will give it to you. Some of you have been asking for that, and that's one reason God brought you here, to give you wisdom through his word. It's simply praying to God. God, how, how can I, in the midst of all that I have going on, be a witness in my work? I mean, I've got to crunch numbers at work, God. I've got to take time to do that. How do I, as I'm crunching numbers or as I'm meeting with clients or as I'm seeing patients or as I'm uh, learning in school, how do I, in the midst of all of those things, share Christ? First step, God, help me. What do I do? The first thing is to get wisdom. We ask God. Paul goes on to say, making the best use of your time. Uh, Ephesians 5, 15 adds on, because the days are evil. The days are fleeting. Here's an illustration of this. Yesterday, I did a funeral for a person who died. Every time I do a funeral, I'm reminded that people die. I mean, I know it's profound. Our days are limited. And we spend so much time on things that do not matter. We ought to make every minute count. Every minute with every relationship. This gentleman that I did the memorial service for yesterday, um, something was shared about him that was really interesting to me. The the daughter of the gentleman that was we were doing the memorial service for said that in his last days, all he wanted to do was to tell you he loved you and he wanted you to hold his hand. And it's interesting to think about the fact that when, when we know our days are limited, our minutes are limited, that the most important thing rises to the surface, Right? When there's a health scare, we, we don't fritter away time with loved ones. We make every minute count. And, and I say what I'm about to say to you, not to scare you into responding, but just to help you to deal in reality. You don't know that you have another day, much less another year. I have stood in this place giving a message on time before, And the next Sunday, people that have been in the audience listening, them not be alive. So what I'm saying to you is you ought to make every minute count, particularly with people that are outside the faith. Paul uses this idea of uh, making the most of it. It actually comes from the Greek word meaning to buy or to buy up or to redeem. It's, it's drawn from the commercial language used during the first century uh, of what would happen in the marketplace. And it means to exhaust the possibilities of purchase, to buy up everything that you uh, can with what you have. This is what it means to make every minute count, to, to, to buy it all up and to use it. Don't waste it. You know what I realize? I waste too much time reading, like, surface-level information. On Twitter, I've already deleted my Facebook. This isn't like, I'm not against Facebook. I'm all for Facebook. It's interesting. I just read genies and unfriend people that write stupid stuff on hers. So, um, sorry. I even just found out about that. <laughs> you wonder. People are like, why are you unfriending me, genie? She's like, I'm not. My husband is. Okay, that's another story. Um, but, but, I, but I re- this, is my own, this is my own journey, and so I, I'm not saying you should do this. This isn't from the Bible. This is my own journey. I realize I, I fritter away time uh, reading uh, news articles that really in the end don't really matter. And so what I've done is I've just kind of made adjustments in, in how the information that comes of my phone and my iPad and my computer, where I can, can reduce the amount of time I'm wasting and all that kind of stuff because I want to make every minute count. You know what I want to do? I want to get to know my neighbor that doesn't know Christ. And rather than just saying, oh, I don't have time, I'm so busy, I go, you know what, I have all the time God wants. So if you're like, well, I don't have time to get to know my unbelieving neighbors, that's a lie. You have the time. He said, no, no, you don't know how busy I am. I work and I've got two kids. You know what? It's an excuse. You will find time for what's most important to you. And what Paul is saying is make the most of the time that you have with people that are outside the faith. Make every minute count. And that can be scary. And so what we want to do is hide or ignore or, uh, um, or be fearful of them or blend in, you know, whatever. But what I'm saying to you is make every minute count. And then he goes on to say um, uh, what, what we realize is that he wants us to spend our words wisely. Let your speech be gracious, season with salt. Spend your words wisely. It's kind of a funny phrase, season with salt. They would have understood it in the first century. Salt was used to preserve and is a flavoring agent. And so, as we draw application... Paul's probably referring to the kind of speech that's designed to make sense to outsiders. And so leave the Christianese out. All your big theological words, fancy words that you know, and I every once in a while I try to teach you one just so you can intimidate people. Leave all that stuff out. Just, just be real with people and tell them the simple good news of the Bible and listen to their stories. And whenever invited to, uh, share yours. Um, Don't be dull or boring in your Christian faith. You need to spend your words wisely with them. Finding ways to talk to them about Christ. You don't have to be obnoxious about it, but I promise you there will be ways that you can talk to them about Christ. There will be a need in their life that you can help them to see through the lens of the gospel. There will be an opportunity, I promise you. So uh, we want to do what Paul says. We want to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of our time. We want our speech to be gracious. We want it to be uh, interesting and not boring. We want it to to be true and honest. We want to be ready to give people an account for the gospel that we have received. We ought to do it as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, with gentleness and respect, so please do not be rude or do not be attacking. It does no good. All it does is make it harder for the rest of us. Um, let me just give you, as I'm bringing this to a close before we do the Lord's Supper, a few things practically that you can do in the next four months to apply this passage. Here we go. First of all, make time on your calendar for people that are outside the faith. This is the day we live in. You've got to make time on your calendar for people that are outside the faith. What I mean by that is say every Thursday night, I'm going to invite somebody into my home for a meal that doesn't share my faith. And that may really, really scare you and we can help you with that. Maybe rather than inviting them into your home, you can invite them to your front yard and which leads me to my second one. Um, Think of ways to bridge your life with a person's life who's outside the faith. The first step... uh, May or may not be inviting them to church. And in our city, in particular in this area, people hear church and they immediately think, maybe something other than, if they're not in a church, they have an impression or an understanding of church that, that may not be favorable. So what you need to do is think of a bridge event, like a block party, invite them to your house. You know, this summer we've had, I think, six, is it six or seven block parties, Andrew, where, where we've had people in our church, I've only attended one, and that's the one on my block, so this isn't about Russell doing events in your neighborhood, this is about you living out your faith in your neighborhood. People that have distributed flyers, invited people to their house, and it's not been like they stood up at one point, like, okay, now that everybody's here. I uh, hope you're enjoying the burgers. Let me tell you, if you were to die tonight, you know if you'd go to heaven or hell. You know, it's just invite people into your home, love on them, have conversations with them, get to know their stories. And again, if, they're, if you're asked to share yours, in uh, every one of these block parties, there's two things that have been common among all of them. The first one is that people say, when I do it again, which means it was a positive experience. The second one is that in, in all of them that I can think of, the, the leader had some kind of faith conversation with the people that were there, with a couple of people that were there. Not everybody. I mean, I don't think they're here today, um, but at our block party, I mentioned this before, we invited, there was 25 adults, 25 kids there. There was a couple there down the street that said just the day before, uh, they were looking for churches because they wanted to become more spiritual, and, uh, and they came to church and have since then made a decision for Christ to want to be baptized. So this is what you do. Think of bridge events. Um, find ways to connect with people that are outside the faith. Now, here's one of those many of you have uh, or some of you have kids at starting school, something that Jeannie and I are going to try this uh, year. Uh, is we're going to try to invite our children's teachers over to our home for a meal, which may benefit (laughs) or hurt us depending on how the mealtime goes. Um, But we're just trying to think of ways to live out our Christian faith in a a kind of natural kind of a way. And so we're going to invite these people to home and just love on them. Let our kids love on them and just be kind to them and generous to them and see what happens. What you ought to do uh, to live out your Christian faith in the next four months, see every extra activity. So when you guys are at the skate park, those of you guys that are, that are believers in Jesus Christ, uh, you can see that as a way that you can share with somebody what you believe to be true about God and what Jesus has done for your life. Um. For those of you that uh, recreate, there's a number of you that like to do triathlon, you know, use that as an opportunity. Um, we've kind of gotten to a point in our lives where we don't do anything extra unless we, see, we don't, unless, we, unless we can see a way that we can invite someone to faith through that activity, not for our kids and not, not at all. It's the only way to do it. Um, uh, just two more things. As you're living out your Christian faith, practice listening to people. People want to share their stories let them share their stories. Be present with people. I met, I met a new person in the neighborhood just last night, and uh, it was very easy. I just said to him, uh, what do you like to do for fun? And he said, uh, I like to go skeet shooting. And I said, oh, that's great. I, I love to hunt. Uh, and he says, uh, will you want to go skeet shooting sometime? I'll say, well, sure. And he said, what do you do for a living? I'll say, I'm a pastor. And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> But I'm going to take him up on that opportunity to go skeet shooting. Um, he went to A&M, so I had to talk real slow to him. <laughs> the last thing that I would say to you as you're trying to live out your faith in the next four months, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper and just celebrate what Christ has done on the cross, is we're going to, I'm going to challenge you just to genuinely love people. Just love people, right? Find ways to show, you say, Russell, I don't have any idea what you're saying. Here's what you need to do. Find ways to show God's love practically to people. Be genuine, be present with them. You know what? As people get busier and busier and relationships get more and more shallow, if you're a genuinely loving person, you'll stand out. You really will. People will be drawn to you. Love people. Listen to their stories. Care deeply for them. Now, no one person in here can be like this to hundreds of people. But every one of us, and this is how the church is supposed to grow, actually. This is how the gospel and the movement of God works in what he's doing in the world, is it's through people that have experienced Christ, sharing Christ in love. That's it. That's what we rely on as a church. That's our heartbeat as a church. I pray that you will experience the love of God for you deeply, deeply as you understand the gospel, and in that, in turn, you'll respond by walking wisely among unbelievers, loving them deeply. Let's pray together.